Uh, I was one of the first people in this country to be arrested for smuggling people into the UK. I was actually kidnapped by British Customs. I decided, that's it, bollocks, I'm going to escape. I got a simple big paper pen, I put a paper clip in the end, and I filled it up with blackcurrant jam, and it looked like a hypodermic syringe. And when I got to court, when they took me up into the dock, the two prison officers that took me up, I, I, I grabbed one of them, held it to his neck, forced the other one to open the door, and escaped from the, the court. Welcome to The Eventful Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Bournemouth Sevens Festival and the revolutionary Event Crowd, our new online events course. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. So if you want to hear more like this, make sure you subscribe, leave us a glowing review, and you can follow me on Instagram at Dodge Woodall. I reply to every single message. When Ray Bishop found himself on the run after escaping custody, he became Britain's most wanted man. His face was plastered all over the national news and TVs across the country. Growing up on a South East London council estate, his experiences left him with a complete distrust of the police. He went from being a petty criminal to a prolific armed robber, a drug smuggler to a people trafficker. His rise through the criminal underworld came with several stints in UK's toughest prisons, and he befriended some of the country's most notorious inmates. Ray shares unbelievable details about his crimes and tracks his road to redemption with incredible insight. Here is the eventful life of Mr. Ray Bishop. Ray, welcome to the show, mate. Pleasure, Dodge. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and no, I'm looking forward to this one, mate. Before we start, let's just um, tell me the little story about your book here with Virgin signing you. Yeah, but that's that's my book. It's a bit sensationalised. It says learning lessons the hard way as Britain's most wanted man because I was a uh, I lived that life. I was a prison escapee, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah. it was a bit sensationalised. But it was a book that I wrote. I was very fortunate. Um, in that I got involved in some reform work in terms of my own rehabilitation and and, and I was inspired by someone, uh, another, someone in that, that world who said to me, you need to write your story. It's quite inspirational. Yeah. I never looked at it like that. And uh, I wrote the book and it was never a book about giving it the big I am or promoting crime or none of that nonsense. It was really an attempt for me to, one, make sense of my own life and two, to compound in my own rehabilitation. And I would also say, most importantly, to try and carry a message to others that you can get out of this way of life. Yeah. It doesn't pay. You know, I wanted to be really graphic about the the horrors and, and everything that goes with crime and criminality and creating victims. And, 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 and so I wrote it. And I was very fortunate that when it was, um, it went to one publisher and they immediately said, this needs to go to a major publisher. I was quite blown away yeah, by that. Considering amazing. I didn't leave school as an educated yeah. person or anything. And uh, it went to Virgin and Virgin said, we need to release this. I was very fortunate. Wow. Good for you. Good for yeah. you. Let's, um, let's get cracking. Let's roll all yeah. the way back. Where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Well, I grew up in um, South East London, a place called Woolwich. You know, it's, uh, I'm not going to speak bad about my area or down down talk anyone from there it was you know it, but it was uh what i will say is it was a uh, it was a tough area you know none of us had a lot as kids you know i'm a product of the early 70s um 
council estates. You know, your, your textbook, basically inner city yeah. kid, uh, growing up in the seventies, we didn't have a lot. Um, my father was uh, uh, sadly an alcoholic and died while, while while he was quite young. How old was he? Uh, my dad was only fifty-two when he died. And how old 52. were you at the time? Uh, I was in my mid-twenties okay. when my dad died, like early twenty-four, twenty-five. Yeah. I had a very fractured relationship with my dad because of that. I don't play the blame game. Oh. I don't want to blame anyone or my circumstances because, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from. You know, you we make our own choices. Okay, we're products of our environment to a degree, but I don't like to play the blame game because I've seen, you know, people come from the same place as I did and some went on to do well. Yeah. I was just one of them people that didn't. You know, I had, I had a lot of difficulties as a child. and especially didn't know how to express myself. I'm a great believer if uh, I can't tell you how I feel, I'll show you. Yeah. And I didn't have the emotional intelligence as a young man to say how I felt. And, mm. and, and I think when I was very young, 11, 12, I sort of, I would say I was raised on the streets. The only place I felt any sort of affiliation was with, with the other kids on the estate who, had, who were like a similar position to me. A lot of us didn't have fathers. A lot of us didn't have things. You know, we didn't have bikes or anything or or, or the things that a lot of kids have. And I don't think we had the the love or nurture, you know. So I I think we sort of raised ourselves. So we were quite feral, Mm. really, as kids, Mm. quite feral. And did you have a good relationship with your mum, even though you did? I did. Well, my my mum was an Irish immigrant. She came here from Ireland when she was 16 years old. You know, she, she left Ireland when she was 16. So she came to this strange country and she had no family around her here or anything. It must have been so difficult yeah. for my mum. She'd done the best she could. Again, I would never blame my mum for the way I turned out. You know, My mum done the best she could. But it was hard. It was hard. It, I mean, kids can be so cruel. And And when I was young and I didn't have the nice clothes or the... Things other kids, you know, I did experience bullying. You know, I used to have uh, big ears. Yeah. I wasn't always like this supermodel that <laughs> I am now. <laughs> I, I had big ears, yeah, yeah, yeah. and kids used to call me big ears yeah. or FA Cup or yeah. you look like a taxi. And, and I used to try and shake it off, but it really, uh, yeah, it really, uh, and and I felt very inferior to other kids. You know, I felt skinny and weak. Yeah. You know, I wasn't this big strong kid or this big fighter kid. Yeah. You know, all that stuff come later yeah. in life. But uh, as a young kid, I, I just felt like I had no place, you know. You know, mm. you, 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 you start to lose yourself at a young age and you do things to become accepted. Mm. And in amongst all that, I made the bad decision at some point to start going down the wrong road. Mm. And was that you know? going down the wrong road to earn money to get the things that you wanted, the nice things in life? Yes and no. I would say... You know, the progression for me was quite textbook. It was like you're, you do things to be accepted by the older kids that you're scared of, yeah. if the truth be known. Looking back with an adult, Ed, at the time as a child, you don't, I'm not one of these kids at a young age that could tell you how I felt. I yeah. couldn't. Yeah. But I knew there was bigger, older kids on the estate and you looked up to them and you respected them. And uh, if you felt peer pressure to do something or behave in a certain way, then that's what you did. Yeah. Irregardless of the consequences, you sort of lose your morality, as it were, and you do crazy things, vandalism, acting out, the, the, the stuff that a lot of kids mm. do. I mean, even kids that didn't go on to live the life I lived. Yeah. You know. 
And was yeah. that was that kind of the start for you? Where was the start where you were earning money or you were or you were you, you knew you were into petty crime? What sort of age group was that? Probably I would say realistically where I made the real choice to get into sort of criminality and crime is I was a dad at 16. Were you? I was a dad at 16, you know, and that was like wow. you know, I love my son to bits, mm. you know, but at 16 years old, I couldn't even look after myself. And all of a sudden, I've got a child and I'm desperately trying to be a father mm. and provide because no one provided for me as a kid mm. in, in the material sense or in the. Yeah. So I, I desperately wanted to try. So I, I did find myself getting into crime. And you could say it's easy to say now, this is not the blame game. You could say, well, most kids at that age could. Uh, why didn't you go to college? Why didn't you? Why didn't you um, get a job or whatever? I did. I tried. You know, I tried to work when I left school and all that. It was difficult times. It was Thatcher's Britain. When I left school, we was in the depths of recession. Yeah. There was very few places at colleges, a university, and things like that. If you came from where we, you just didn't. Yeah. You know, and and I and I say this in my book. I speak graphically about it. I give it a, a bit of a social sociological mm. narrative, mm. as it were. That um, the way they invested in our future was they built Belmarsh Prison, mm. which was on our doorstep. And the police at the time, we had something what was called the SPG, which was the Special Patrol Group. They used to come onto our estates. We were all tarred with the same brush. You know, there was no racism or anything like that. Mm. We was There was black kids, white kids. We was all mixed together. In, in the police's eyes at the time, we were all scum. And they said, we will all be in that jail soon. And that's exactly what happened. Right. So and they were drilling into your minds, they kind of. Very much so. And it was, you know, whether you'd done things or didn't do things, it didn't matter. You still get the blame. You got the blame, but okay. you were tarred with that brush. It was really, really hard. And if you came from my estate and you went to try and get jobs, because we could only get local jobs. We didn't drive. We didn't have the money to travel to London and places like that. You'd go... Oh, if they knew you were from like Woolwich Common or something, you were immediately viewed with distrust and dis and yeah. suspicion. So that it was stacked against us. Mm. And I say this of an adult Ed, again at the time, you don't realise how many barriers there is to overcome. Mm. They are overcomable, mm. but at the time as a young man, you know, I, I was just lost, mm. you know, completely lost. Where were you living with a with a, as a sixteen year old with a kid. Well, at sixteen, my partner was she was a year older than me, and and these were in the days where you could get a flat quite easy yeah. before the the housing crisis of today. And and she had her own little council flat, and I ended up moving with her when I was just over sixteen years old. I mean, I was I left home as quick as I could yeah. when I was sixteen. I was just wanted wanted out, yeah. and you know, and uh, yeah, I moved in with her, and that was in the heart of the estate, yeah. the heart of the sort of Badlands, as it were, mm. my flat become quite an epicenter for all the the lot, and and before you know it, is your, and the police at the time really did target me, because they saw me as being, yeah, very much at the epicenter of everything that was going on. And were I you? really what? Not the not to the degree yeah. they said, <laughs> not to the degree the yes. degree they said, yeah, but did it contribute to pushing me into more harder and organised crime? Most definitely. Because as time went on, I, I, I climbed the the, the, uh, the scale in terms of the underworld. And I think a lot of that happened from ending up in such hard prison environments at a young age. You know, I was in Belmarsh Prison when I was 19 years old. You're not supposed to be there till you're 21. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, they put me in Belmarsh when I was 19 because I was from that area, had a bit of a name. Yeah. They'd done something what was called Starred Up, but they didn't do it. It yeah. wasn't called Starred Up then. They just basically put me in Belmarsh at 19 years well, old. For, did they give a reason? To them, it was just, it, it was more convenient. Yeah. It was more convenient. Was it more convenient? Were you a nuisance? Were they thinking, like, you looking back now as an adult, looking back, you're thinking, he's a proper nuisance. We need to get him off the estate and put him into Belmarsh. Yes and no, but by this sort of age, I had become a bit of a rebel, yeah. and I did often react badly when I got arrested. Yeah. I'm not proud to say it, but I did used to I fought with them yeah. and whatever else, and uh, yeah. But that was that was in some senses to defend myself here. That was in some senses retaliation to the brutality that we often encountered yeah. at the hands of the police. Okay. Now I, I I say this, I don't hate the police. Mm. I respect the police. I have a healthy respect for the yeah. police. We need the police. Nothing against them today. I'm a reformed character. I live a law-abiding life. And I think they do a very difficult job. Yeah. And it's even harder in these times. I but, I mean, back in that era, I mean, we're talking about the, the late 80s, yeah. early 90s, they were, it, it was, the, the police were quite brutal. Mm. You know, they, they used to fit us up. They used to do, uh, uh, you had this thing, what we called verbal. When you do, you'd do a statement, you'd never sign it because yeah. they'd sign it for you and they'd write things and you'd end up going to court and, You've admitted this and admitted. You, I never said that. I never said that. I never said so that. So, were there no recordings and CCTV no, and nothing back then? Before, before the days. So, they could write the what days. they want, get you to sign it. Even if you didn't sign it, they'll sign it on your behalf. Well, pretending they, it was they, you. they had many, many little tricks they used to do. Saying, you know, like, for example, we, we used to steal cars. Again, I'm not proud of it, but we used to use like a, a screwdriver, a scaffold pole. When they'd arrest you, they'd put it in your hand with a print. I mean, your fingerprints are going to yeah. be on it. You know, it's against you. Yeah. It's against you. And when you'd go to court, you'd end up having quite a few charges. Some you did, some you didn't. Mm. You take it rough with a smooth. But there was a lot of people from my era. You know, I can't, you know, I can't complain. You know, I lived that life. But there was kids from my area that didn't need to go through what they went through. And yeah. some of them are sadly dead today because yeah. they went on to have drug problems and yeah. die from overdose and everything. And it's all a vicious cycle. Yeah. Um and they got arrested for things and put away and convicted for things that they hadn't even fucking yeah. done. Yeah, 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 it was yeah. just, let's clear it up. Yeah. And then they went for a phase in the early 90s, the police, they, they'd arrest you. Say you got arrested for uh, one robbery. Mm. A robbery, give me an example of robbery. An armed robbery. Okay. Because I became, you know, I became a prolific armed robber. Was that your next step to become a, an, an armed robber? Well... What sort of age were you when you first did your first arm robbery? My first arm robbery, I was 19, 20 years of age. You're joking me. 19, 20, yeah. And that was, um, we had a spate from our area. See, the older generation from my area, right from from Woolwich to a place called Bermondsey, which is, 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 he's got Woolwich, Tough areas, all tough areas. Deptford, Bermondsey, that little strip there. They call it bandit country. It's part of South London where all the arm robbers really did come from. And we used to look up to them people, the people who were robbing the security vans and everything else, because that, that's what was going on. And I, and I knew quite a few of them characters. They were like the older lot of us. And um, we all wanted to be them, but we weren't. We were just reckless kids of game, and we'd go and do these stupid fucking robberies. One minute it'd be, you know, we had no regard for victims or anything like that. And I look back at it, it and I am one of these people, I do have a lot of remorse and regret because I've I, I done some terrible things yeah. in that, in my quest to be accepted or mm. be a name or to earn money or whatever, whichever way you look at it. But um, yeah, we looked up to them people. We wanted to be them people. But then we had a culmination of uh, shootings 
in our area, police shooting armed robbers. Is that know? right? Is that what that, that was the that was the thing the police were doing yep. then? What happened to is calm they, everything down. To well, to bring the armed robbery rate down. Yeah, okay. Because there were so many people running man doing crazy things that what they said at the time, I think the Home Secretary Thomas Douglas heard, they'll never admit it, but yeah. it was a shoot to kill policy. Yeah. The execution squad, we called them. PT seventeen they yeah. were, like a division of SO nineteen flying squad. And what happened is uh Two fellas that we knew from our estate both got shot dead robbing a security van. And when my friend was turned to run to the getaway vehicle, they shot him in the back. You know, he survived, luckily. But that tells you their motive. Yeah. Did they need to shoot him yeah. when he was running away? Yeah. Of course they didn't. Yeah, yeah. And then a few weeks later, they shot uh, another fella robbing um, uh, B-Jams down in, down in Woolwich in our estate. Now, that brought the armed robbery rate down, yeah. and that made us think twice. And from that sort of moment, we did become a little bit more organised. And rather than robbing on our own doorstep, yeah. we tended to go out and, and, and do things out. So would you, your first robbery, do you remember it? I do. Was it a sawn-off shotgun with a secure? No, 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 no. It was a, it was a, a replica firearm. I think it was like a gat gun or something, <laughs> but... No one stops to ask you, yeah. do they? And if, there's t- and if there's two or three of you and you run in somewhere and you're threatening enough, you know, they would uh, comply. And sometimes they won't, you know. Mm. Sometimes people are very brave, you know, mm. fair play to them. But I would never say be brave. And, and being 19, you're still young, still a kid. How long did you do in Belmarsh? Well, that first hit? The first time I was in Belmarsh, I think I was there for about six or seven months. It wasn't a long period, but six or seven months is a long time in, 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 in that sort of prison. You know? And how did you feel when you first went in there? You're saying that you had to be 21. You were in there at 19. Was it like a, was there a bit of you like that you knew on the streets that your mates knew you were in there? Yeah, because it's been drilled in your head all these years. You're going to go to Belmarsh. If you go to Belmarsh, you're going to be a criminal. Was there a part of that that's well, going on? By this time, I'd already spent quite a bit of time as a young man in young offenders institutions. So I'd earned my, what we called our stripes, yeah. like you'd already done a bit of birds. So yeah. you sort of half knew what to expect. But when you go into them environments and you're a young man, you, you know, it's like gladiator school, we yes. used to call it. You learn how to fight and yeah. defend yourself or whatever else. So when you go into them sort of environments, you learn to carry yourself, yeah. which is a difference. You either sink or swim. Yeah. And I was very fortunate because I'd had sort of like the the upbringing on the street and the pedigree of knowing sort of the calibre of people that I did know, that when you go into them places, you sort of know people already or you know their brother, their cousin. Yeah. So you get pulled into people. And in the criminal world, you, you are used and abused and you use and abuse, but you're not aware of it at the time. Mm. And because we had certain skills when we were young, nicking cars, high-performance motorbikes, things like that, this is where I first started to get a little bit organised. Some of the more organised robbery firms used to get us to nick a car or nick a motorbike and leave it in a certain place. For the getaway. We knew what it was for, but we would never... We could never divulge anything. We kept our mouth shut. Yeah. The relationship we had, the police, you would never speak to the police yeah. and I would uh, and I would never have cooperated with them in any shape or form. Yeah. So we were trusted to do things like that yeah. and looked after for doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And how, how many how many armed robberies do you reckon you've done before <laughs> before you moved into the next step of the criminality world? Well, I wouldn't like to say. I've been arrested. I've been convicted of firearms twice. I've been convicted for two armed robberies and one attempted armed robbery. Um, but I would say enough to say I was prolific at the time. You know, from the ages of perhaps 19 to 27, I've done quite a lot. 
enough for the police to tell me they were going to shoot me. Right, okay. And they meant it. Yeah. (laughs) Was there ever a time when when you were planning a robbery to think, I'm going to do four this week, I'm going to do one every month? Was was there any game plan? Or was it just like, you know what, I fancy it today? So sometimes, sometimes we're organised and sometimes we're opportunist. There was a lot that went on in my criminality. I, you know, I, I developed a drug problem at a young age. Yeah. I was cocaine and whatever what else. What sort of age? Probably from about the age of 20, 21. Yeah, we, we started sniffing coke and whatever else. Because remember, we were coming out of the acid yeah. house era, yeah, weren't yeah. we? And there was still a lot of cash in society. Yeah. There was still a lot of, I mean, today, armed robbery is something that's just... It's, it's gone. It, it's, it's a redundant mm. crime. And mm. we were on the tail end of it, you know, say some, in some senses, dinosaurs. But back then, you could get nicked for a robbery and you could get four or five years for robbing a post office. Now, if you rob a post office, you'll get 18 years, 20 yeah, years. So, the right. sen- well, the sentences yeah. sort of killed it anyway. Yeah. But Did you not ever have the fear of going, oh, if I get caught today, I'm going to get a five? I had the fear of getting shot. Yeah, that, that was the biggest Every fear. job I okay. went on. After they went through that phase of, of, of shooting, and they told us they were going to shoot us, you know, and we started to notice uh, at this time, yeah, you used to have the beat bobbies. They used to have the... Yeah. Bobby's used to have the yeah, hats, top hat. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they started to have the flat caps, and they used to come on to our estate in in ARVs, which is like armed response vehicles. Yeah. And you know they were armed in there, and they'd park up at the estate. One 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 particular incident, uh, I was in a snooker hall in Bexleyheath. Like we used to go there sometimes after we'd been out the night or whatever, and they was watching us, and they knew we was up to something. And I came out, and there was four ARVs waiting for me to arrest me for suspicion of something. And they was just getting armed up, ready to... And it was late at night, and I walked out and startled them, and, and they've gone... And they've sort of arrested me before they had a chance yeah. to... Like, but I, I often wonder if they'd got sort of a siege sort of situation and said, right, come out with your hands up and all that. Would they have shot me? There'd yeah. been no witnesses or anything, you know. And they told me they were going to shoot me, mm. you know. And these robberies, was it just banks and secure core vans? Was no, there any we, other types of no, robbery? No, we, we, we was robbing jewellers, uh, bureau de changes. Um, I got convicted of a post office, one post, a main post office that, um, that I robbed, um, uh, attempted robbery on another post office. It was, I would like to say, in our world, in my world at that time, and I don't see any of this to give it the big I am, you know, I regret. Mm past but it was easy targets you know it's 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 horrific to say but crime criminality you know it creates fucking victims you know and 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 but you don't think at the time and we never thought so if we could run in a in a in a post office and you've got like a couple of bank uh post office staff in there and if you know they're not going to put up a fight but you've got no regard for the for the trauma and that you cause them people You know, one of my friends, I mean, we, it's an art robbery. You, it's sort of like you, we honed our skill and you can be more menacing by being calm and collected than what you can ever be being Captain Caveman. Yeah. When people run in, rah, 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 yeah. it, that's Captain Caveman stuff. It's very amateur, but we could be quite uh, professional. And, mm. and, and with the notes, we used to write a note, literally sometimes not even have a, have a weapon, write a demand note and hand it under the counter. And just let them read it and see let what the read reaction it. is. And nine times out of ten, they'll put the money from the drawer into the into the bag and chuck it under because they're they're told to do that. Yeah. Don't put up a fight, yeah. especially if there's a customer in the bank. Yeah. Now we knew that the way they the, the what what they was uh, ordered to do is if there's no customer in the bank, you can hit the yeah. the button and it sends the 
the, the protective screens up, whatever else. But if there's a customer in the bank, they must comply because they're putting that customer at risk. Yeah. So and we knew these, these. So we had no regard for them, the poor victims or whatever else. And um, one particular robber I knew, he was so violent on robberies. Like he he used to go in and he would hit the screen and smash the screen. Yeah. I mean, it's, he he, he traumatised banks. Yeah. You know, I've read the uh, the victim yes. uh, statement, statement. You know, and I've read it and and... And this particular, it was a woman behind the counter at the time when he robbed it. And this wasn't one that I was on. And she she actually soiled herself. She yeah. was that terrified. Yeah, sure. and, 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 you know, that that's, that's, it's despicable. But at the time when you're doing it, you, you had no think. regard whatsoever. You're thinking, I'm going in there to get a pound note. It's all a game. Yeah. Especially when you're young and everyone else around you is doing it. Doing I it. hate to say it. For us, it was like the norm. Yeah. And I think... Looking back with hindsight, it was our way of lashing out at society that we felt we didn't belong in, that we felt, I mean, I felt victimised as a young man. I felt like there was no opportunity for me. Yeah. There was, you know, there was no banker mum and dad. There was no one giving me guidance or support, you know. Even um, as a young man, I didn't get the opportunities that a lot of other people got. No, where they used to say um, you get a bit of community service or a bit of probation and they might help and guide you or whatever else. I never got none of that. For me, it was just prison, yeah. prison, because you were labelled and tarred, yeah. like I say. When we went to a court, a Woolwich magistrate's court, if you came from Woolwich Common and the police told the judge, because everything goes on yeah. behind the scenes yeah. in court, as you know, it's, it all seems to be lovely and transparent and the scales of justice seems to Don't believe that yeah. shit for one second. Yeah. They know what they're going to give you beforehand. The police tell the judge beforehand what they suspect you of and whatever else. and what. And so they just lock us up mm. with no regard for what damage that would have on us in the long term, what, what it would do in terms of crime prevention. It didn't. It yeah. just made us fucking harder. Yeah. And this is why I think I'm quite insightful now about young people and what they go through and whatever else. But I think, looking back, I wish somebody had sat me down as a young man. I wish someone had sat me down. Do you reckon that comes back to not having that fatherly figure as a young man? Yes, but I do feel 100%. But like I say, I don't want to play the bank game. I think society, I think it was... It was Dare I say it, I think it was quite engineered that way towards yeah. inner cities in in uh, in that era. Yeah. Don't forget, crime is an industry. A lot of people are employed off the back of mm. crime. You know, security services, all the security jobs, all the, the civil staff, everything, the, the, everything, all the... Mm. It's a fucking industry. Yeah. If you take all of crime out of society... Now, I don't want to sound like this all C&I so educated, but it's, uh, what did he say? Karl Marx said, if you want to truly judge a society, look no further than its prisons. Mm. And the one thing I can tell you from having spent time in 31 different prisons, including being a, a Category A prisoner in a maximum security prison in, in, in a special care and control unit, because that's where I ended up. Yeah. You know, I can tell you, I've met some of the greatest minds in jail, mm. and people that perhaps if weren't whose circumstances been just a little bit different, maybe they'd have gone on to be top entrepreneurs or something big. Fantastic yeah. people in society. But yeah. then on the flip side of that, I'm also privileged enough because I'm involved, quite actively involved in reform work. You know, I've been yeah, yeah. blessed that I go into schools and give talks, and I've gone into colleges and universities yeah. and whatever else. That I've actually met lots of ex cons that are actually doing fantastic in society. Yeah. And great uh, 
greatly contributing, you know, including myself. You know, I've, you know, I'm a successful businessman today. I own a a scaffold company. Mm. I employ people. I pay my tax. I don't break the law. Took me a long time to get there, but I'm one of them people. Mm. And just going back to the robberies, I'm fascinated. Going back to the robberies there. Did you ever get caught on the job by the police? Uh, I've had two. Two very near misses in one one that I, I they knew it was us, they knew it was us, and we got chased from a place called um Royal Tunbridge Wells and we got we got chased in a car, but because we were driving like absolute fucking maniacs, the police had no choice but to back pull off. back off yeah. on us. And, and and what actually happened is we we crashed the car uh, just off the M25. I crashed the car. I can talk about this now. This is old history. I yeah, can never yeah. be convicted of it. Yeah. Uh, I crashed the car and we, me and my friend actually managed to run away and get away. And I was hiding in a bush and they knew we were somewhere and they let the police dogs go. And a police dog came up to the bush and it came in, poked its nose in and I went, fuck off. <laughs> and it fucked off. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that police dog yeah, got the sack, Jack, but yeah. if ever there was a time, I love animals, yeah. but I love that one. I love that one. <laughs> I told him to fuck off, and he fucked off. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, no, go, luck. so when you've got when you've got when you've got the the robberies, you said you did it from sort of nineteen to twenty seven. Yeah. A lot easier back then. There's no CCTV. No. Uh, there was a. You know, it was just a lot easier. Everything was a lot easier back then. The police relied on 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 informants and yeah. grasses like they do today. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, the police know. They're not fucking stupid. The police know. They, they, if you're active criminally, you know, they know you're fucking active. You know, when we're on the estate, we're not working. And when we did have a touch, they'd know you've had a touch yeah. because you'd all be out on the piss in the Partying, pub. Everyone yeah. would be like giving it the yeah. Charlie Big Potatoes because yeah. we did. Yeah. They're not fucking stupid. Yeah. You know, they know that you're active. Where are you getting your money from? Mm. If, you, if you're signing on, you're getting whatever a week and you're living... That you're lifestyle. Not, you're not fucking... Do you remember? Do you remember the biggest hit you ever had doing a robbery? Yeah. How much are you talking? Half a million pounds. You're joking me. Yeah, no, I had half a million. It weren't all in money. I'd be lying. Oh, and okay. I can speak about this because yeah. I got convicted of it. <laughs> this is the one I got convicted of a main post office. A lot of it was in um, stamps. We used to take everything back then because you could get. Remember the days when you could pay all your electric bills yeah. and everything with the phone stamps yeah. or whatever. Yeah. We used to get all the stamps, all the electric bill stamps and everything, and it. That gave us sort of like a bit of a Robin Hood because everyone on our estate could fucking afford to put their energy on. Because <laughs> we'd get the books and we'd, we'd, we'd get the stamps. And what happened is all they used to do is when they used to get the stamps come in, someone pays their bill, they used to put a pen mark through them and just put them in a bag. And there'd be thousands and thousands of them. Okay. Now, the face value of them would be worth thousands. Yeah. All we used to do is get brake fluid, wipe the pen mark, and it would get rid of the pen mark. It'd be good as new again. Nice. And we'd resell them. And people would go back in and pay their bills and uh, you pay your phone bills, your electric bills, everything. I mean, we had money, we taxed this, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would, would you go everything. behind the counter to do that? Is it like you see in the, in the films, you're banging that. everything in bags? I did on that particular yeah. one. The way it used to work with post offices back then, they didn't used to be alarmed. And people didn't know Is that. that. Right? No, didn't used to be alarmed. What they had was what was called a trembler. The only part of the post office that was alarmed was the safe. Can you not phone that in? That's how I got arrested for one. Right, but okay. uh, I'll tell you what happened. The, 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 they had a trembler on them. And this, because the, in, in the, uh, the 60s and 70s, you had the safe blowers, didn't yeah. you? People just blow the yeah, safes yeah, yeah, open yeah. and cut them. Yeah. Well, it was still tail end of that era. So they hadn't, technology hadn't caught up. So we knew we could 
go in and rob them. Basically, they had no alarms. You could even break in of a night time, which we'd done to a few. We'd break in of a night and cut 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 into the safes and things. We'd done that. You know, it's uh, the only part that was alarmed was that. Yeah. It was only after sort of a lot of burglaries we'd done and some of the burglaries we'd done at post office were high value burglaries yeah. when you think not everything was in the safe tax discs, all this sort of stuff, which back then you didn't have all the AMPR cameras that the police have got now. I could sell you a stolen tax disc and stamp, stamp it, it and put it in go. the window. And as far as I'm <clears> concerned, <throat> you yeah. taxed. Yeah. You know? And what did you get for that? I got five year, nine month for that. Did you? And where? Yeah. And did you did what you did three years of that? Of three years. That was the first time I met uh, my, my, uh, Charlie Bronson. Charlie Bronson? Were you in it uh, with Charlie Bronson? I've been, been banged up with him twice. That's have the you? first time I met him because I was a little bit like? of a... He's no threat to anyone. No. I mean, the, the press sensationalised Charlie. Do you know what? He's a very decent man yeah. and, and very, very funny, very intelligent. You know, and if he gets released, he's not going to bloody arm anyone. Strong boy as well, years old. Oh, phenomenally mm. strong. But I was in, like I say, this is, I, I, I was a bit of a fool in the prison system side. I was a bit, I mean, I would say I was one of these super hard prisoners, around, but I was just a fucking pest. Like, yeah. always Were you game for everything? Them. Yeah, too game. Too game. And I liked winding them up and, and anyway, oh, I the got, screws. Yeah, yeah. It was my first escape attempt, really. What happened in Ida? And I was going on production. I was serving for that one. And I was up at the same time for a conspiracy to rob a post office in Dartford where we got Nick foaming the bell box. We'd, yeah. What would happen is we phoned the bell box. A cab driver saw two of us doing it. He's phoned the police. I got Nick a mile away from the scene, but. My two friends got arrested near the scene, yeah. and because they put us all together, yeah. we're all nicked. Okay. Anyway, I'm up for conspiracy on that. Whilst, whilst already, while I was already okay. serving, okay. and uh, my plan was to escape from court. And I thought, if I make a weapon up, I could escape. But anyway, cut a long story Hold short. On a bit. So you're in, you're in the court docks. I was going to escape, yeah, from the court docks from Maidstone, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I was in High Dam Prison in Surrey at the time, which is a Cat B prison. It's yeah. a secure prison, so you're not getting out of yeah. there. And anyway, I've made this knife up, and I was really friendly with uh, another prisoner at the time called Davy Goddard. Lovely fella. The first man to escape from Wandsworth Prison since Ronnie Biggs. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. What happened is Dave was doing some works on the yard. He managed to scale the fence like a little ferret. He stood on top of the fence and went, see you later, <laughs> jumped and run. <laughs> the first man to escape. You've got to give him credit yeah. for that. But Because uh, I was really friendly with him. They used to watch us, really watch us. And it, it was a silly move, really. It, they've they've spun my cell one day, found this bloody knife. Next thing you know is I'm 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 down the segregation. And that's the first time I met Charlie because they thought, oh, it could be an escape attempt. They've put me, Dave Goddard, on the same because if you're a cat A or an E man, which is like an escape risk, yeah. they put you in the seg, but on the exercise yard side, so that if you was to get out of your cell, you'd still be enclosed in the exercise yard. So right, okay. Charlie Bronson was down there as a category A prisoner. And there was myself and Dave Goddard. Now, Dave was already an E-man. Now I'm an E-man in, in Yellow Stripe. So all three of us are in a row together. And that was when I first got to know Charlie and got to speak to Charlie. And what's the, what's the difference between normal cells and seg? Well, segregation, you're basically locked up 24 hours a day. Yeah, you'll be lucky. Right? You get out for like half hour exercise. They may or may not let you out for a shower. The, the, the screws tend to be a lot harder. And in Idan at the time, in 95, it hadn't been open long. And a lot of the prison officers had come there from Wandsworth. And Wandsworth, I don't care what anyone says, I don't know about now, but back then, Wandsworth was a fucking hard prison. Yeah. It was like the flagship of the POA, which is a prison officers association. A lot of the prison officers there are all ex-military. Yeah. 
um, fucking hard bastards, you know. They, they were hard bastards and quite brutal. They're in scrubs. I've done the two, and I would say they're equally as fucking hard, but Wandsworth notoriously hard. So the, the, the prison officers in the segregation unit, they usually put the hardest of the hard there yeah. because you've got people that are in that segregation for... I mean, there's a lot of people like Charlie Bronson. You hear about Charlie Bronson a lot, but there's a lot of dangerous people in segregation, people that have to be separated from other prisoners because they're fucking violent yeah. or they're whatever reason. So, yeah, when I was in that segregation, by virtue of people like Charlie and that being down And there, how long were you in there for? How long were you in segregation that, for? I was in that segregation for, well, it must have been two or three months. I can't remember. Yeah. I've done a lot of segregation. So two or three months of... 23 and a half hours stuck in your cell. I've done worse than that, you know. That was my mentality back then. It was like, you're caught, you're arrested, but you won't, you, you'll never take me alive. Were you constantly you know? thinking how I could escape? All the time. All the time. So you, the did, time. you did, you got a six or five, nine or whatever. Yeah, Roughly five, you, did, you did three years. Yeah. When you come out, you're like, I'm going to go on the straight and narrow. Uh, do you know what? When I came out, I wanted to go straight, you know. I don't, you know, I don't, you know, you know, I had my child, my, my son, and I had my, my daughter, Leanne. How old was, was your son at this point? Oh, he must have been five, five, about five or six by this so time. You've missed yeah. his... I missed the pivotal yeah. years, important years, yeah. you know. But that was there was a lot to that. I mean, yeah. I'd split up with his mum yeah. prior to sort of, you know, being away and whatever else. But I, I wanted to go straight and I wanted to... I wanted to go to college and do things like that, mm. but I couldn't support myself, yeah. you know. I'm not being... Funny, you know, you, back then, and even now, you were discharged from prison with like 40 quid in your pocket, and there you go, build a new life. You'd often come out homeless, jobless. So it's literally open the open the, open the the doors of prison, off you go, see you later, no one's waiting for you, there's no... Kick you out. And off you go. go and now. there was very little rehabilitation yeah. in prison back then, and what the prison officers used to say to you, is it was like, what a funny joke to them, is uh, next time you come back, bring a friend. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Constantly drilling into your head from a young age, isn't it? Yeah, but I don't want to. Again, I don't want to. As an adult, I don't want to paint this bad picture. All prison officers are bastards. You know, I met some fucking decent ones over the years. Really good people. They're in it for the job, and they just want to. They want to try and help people. Whoever's, but the the card. You know, the the governments and 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 the Ministry of Justice and the Home Secretary shit on them as much as they shit on prisoners. You know, and. And um, their hands are tied, you know. And what's, what's it like in prison? Is it rife? Is it drugs rife? Depending is it on, alcohol rife? Depends on the prison. Okay. You know, I'll tell you a story about maximum security prisons, you know, category A prisons, because I ended up okay. in, in maximum security prisons. There's only five in the country. They're called the dispersal prisons. You've got Whitemore, Full Sutton, Franklin, Long Larkin, uh, Wakefield, which is Monster Mansion, they call it. That's where they keep all the... Well, all, any of those five, you're in there... Wakefield's where they keep the reptiles. That's okay. where all the really bad sex yeah, offenders okay. are. But in their mother jails, and most of them are straight cons. They might have a wing with that lot yeah, of them, but yeah. they're most are straight cons, category A prisoners, high-risk prisoners, whatever else, yeah. which I became, regrettably. But in them jails, you tend to get a lot of alcohol, and it's okay. it's hooch, home brewing. Yeah. By virtue of the prisoners they've got there and the sentences they're doing, I mean 30 wrecks and 25 years and wow. 28 years and 35 years, whole life tariffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of prisoners. They've got nothing to lose. Yeah. So the prison officers tend to let you have a drink. As long as, as you're not a nuisance to us. As long as you're not a nuisance and you behave. And if you fucking kick off or start being violent towards them, then they send the search teams in, turn it into a desert. That's their control measure. Right, okay. Although they'll never admit <clears throat> it. Yeah. It goes on. And, and that will just spread. 
for the inmates going, hold on a minute, why are you doing that? You've ruined it for us all. Prisons only work with cops. Turn against themselves. Exactly. Prisons yeah. only work with inmate cooperation. Yeah. If every inmate said, fuck you, the prisons would be madhouses, yeah. wouldn't they? And, and are they madhouses? Some prisons are. Local prisons tend to be because you've got a lot of short-termers, a lot of young prisoners. Whatever. It tends to be the younger prisoners that make it hostile, mm. whereas the older prisoners just really want to get on with their sentence and get out of the door. So when you've come out at this time... Is all the bank robbery stopped now? Have you is another is another part of you you jumped into now thinking, well, I need to earn a pound, I'm well, going into this now. Was it drugs? Was it No, was I went it... into to to organised crime. I, I ended up in, in the, the late nineties, uh, from people I'd met in prison. I ended up going into the smuggling world, you know, and I was smuggling drugs from Spain. What sort of France. drugs? Cannabis. Cannabis nice. mainly, but we did smuggle coke, we did smuggle teas, we smuggled amphetamines, we 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 done all that stuff and it culminated in me getting arrested. Uh, in the end, for a people smuggling ring, you know, I people, was people smuggling. Uh, I was one of the first people in this country to be arrested for smuggling people into the UK Tell from, me, from Eastern Europe. People smuggling. Yeah. How did, how did that work? Well, it was it, we was involved with some some what? big gangs on the continent, and these were these were Russians from the breakaway states, uh, uh, some of them from Belarus, Ukraine, places like that. And and this was before the open borders. Yeah. So what they were trying to do is get people into the UK to preempt it, to sort of like jump the queue, as it were, or whatever. Decent people. I'm not going to say they were all criminals yeah. who were smuggling in, but I got involved with them people when we was we was uh, smuggling drugs or whatever else. And I, I was using abuse. I don't want to give it the big yeah. I am. Yeah. I was like the main organ. I wasn't. I wasn't. I played a pivotal role. But when I was arrested for it, because I refused to cooperate with the, the police and customs and Interpol, it was a big operation when I got arrested. I got arrested in France. Um, how how to... did you get arrested? Did they find you? Did they find you a load of people? How did it work? Well, how does people smuggling work? We got arre- I got arrested because of uh, an observation. The, the firm that we were working <clears> with were actually under observation on the continent yep. by, I believe, the security services like MI. Five MI six and 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 I can say that now of hindsight. The reason why I can say that is because when I was actually arrested, we tried to get the covert surveillance material, and they'd done something which was called the uh, PII. One of the first cases where they'd done it, which is public immunity, something or other, where they can withhold evidence because it can compromise an ongoing investigation. So they or it can compromise a grass or something like that. So they withhold evidence. So basically material that should be available to the defence should I wish to plead not guilty is not available to yeah. us because they're, they're allowed to withhold it okay. legally which is a bit corrupt yeah. and I was actually kidnapped by British Customs you know this sounds <laughs> you were kidnapped I was by kidnapped British by British Customs you know I, I said well, while now, you're in France yeah I was arrested in France I'd committed no offence in Great Britain technically my my offence has been committed in France I should be arrested tried Sentenced in France. Over there, yeah, okay. What happened is uh, because it was this new threat to uh, borders or wherever, people smuggling and wherever else, and they they sent British Customs out to France under the guise of checking to make sure I was fit to be interviewed by the French yep. and fit to be detained, like come to check my welfare. And they yep. said, what we're going to do is we're going to drive you to a hospital in Calais and make sure that you're fit and well. And I said... Okay, so I willingly said, I think this is protocol, I have to do it, so I can't refuse. So I had to get in the car with the British Customs, got in the car with them, they drove me to a place called Coquel, which is a British control zone in mm. France. And once I was there, they said, 
you're now in British territory. <laughs> you're oh, right, so, you're <laughs> so basically, they, they brought me back to the UK. Wow. What, yeah. what sentence did you get for that? I got 10 years for that. And another three years for escaping, because this is when I escaped. I ended up taking two prison officers hostage in court. So hold on, hold on a minute. I want to go back. I want to go back. <laughs> when were you the Britain's most wanted man? After I escaped from this. Oh, again, so, okay, we've got enough. Yeah. After I escaped <laughs> okay. this time. <laughs> so you got a 10. <laughs> uh, well, this is before I got sentenced, I escaped. What, okay. what happened is British Customs brought me back to the UK. Yes. I was immediately remanded in custody. Yeah. Now... The reason they brought me back to the UK is because they wanted me to cooperate. I know they did. Yeah. And they knew if I was in a French prison or something like that, the chances on them getting, because these were a major organised yeah. firm. And they said to me, so if you don't cooperate, as far as we can you're the ringleader. That's why I got 10 years, because I refused point blank to cooperate. Yeah. You know? So they they done me as being the ringleader. So when you're not cooperating, they're all sitting there in a room, asking you loads of questions, you're just going, uh, no comment. Oh, immediately no comment. they wanted to make my life hard. But this is what, this is, uh, I'll tell you the story now, why it became very hard. Yeah. I decided, that's it, bollocks, I'm going to escape. You know? Where were you? What prison was it? Uh, they moved, They put me in Canterbury Prison. You know, I was at Folkestone Court, which is a high security court. Yeah. Now, um, reason I say that is not for ego or effect. Yep. It's a high security court because if you're arrested at the docks, uh, Dover, Folkestone, anywhere like that, you know, they get some major players arrested there. Yep. Big parcels of drugs, explosives, guns, whatever. Yep. So when you go to court, you're in what's called a Category A facility prison, uh, court to yep. prevent escape. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to just jump the dock or run out. So when I went to Canterbury Prison, I was there on remand for two weeks and I knew I was going to appear again at Folkestone Court. So I hatched this plot. I said, right, I know how I'm going to escape. And what I actually done, uh, I'll tell you the full story, but I don't want to sound like I'm glamour glorifying no, it or getting it, because yeah, I'm yeah, not. Yeah. It's, it was not nice what I'd done. I got a simple big paper pen. I put a paper clip in the end, and I filled it up with blackcurrant jam, and it looked like a hypodermic syringe. Yeah. So when I left um, prison that morning, I'm strip searched, very easy to conceal. I just had it, it sort of damn my... Down the yeah. back, in sort of between my arse cheeks, yeah. if you like. And when I got to court, when they took me up into the dock, the two prison officers that took me up, I, I, I grabbed one of them, held it to his neck, forced the other one to open the door and 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 escape from the, the court and managed to get away. <laughs> You're joking, man. Uh, and when, when I was arrested, I was done for initially 23 false imprisonments, including <laughs> the judge. <laughs> what, they, they included the judge with it? <laughs> well, because I technically, I'd, <clears throat> I'd held everyone. Yeah. So Even where was where were all the security then? Everyone must just had the fear. And then when you got out of when that last door opened, were you just on your toes? Oh, literally, literally uh, on the yeah, run. No, I'm not going to give it a large and say I had this uh, big pot of money or I went down to Spain to be yeah. with all the big gangsters. Yeah. I wasn't a gangster, you know. I thought I was, you know. I basically got out, and now I've just got to survive on my wits, which I've done many. Which coming from the streets, you yeah. survive on your wits. So I've jumped a few gardens, nicked a top off a washing line, so I've changed my identity. Yeah. Run down to the beach. I didn't even know where the fuck I was. Yeah. I'm in folks, and I've run down the beach. I, I, I managed to be amongst people because they there was a helicopter up looking for me yeah. in no time. You know, there was a helicopter flying around. So I've uh, I've saw a girl when she was with her baby. Where so I've managed to sit down and have a little chat with her. So anyone. That, that I just look like someone with it, yeah. you know, and I stayed down there for a few hours and then I literally bunked a train home to Woolwich. And when I got back to Woolwich and I'm a home fucking area, I wouldn't yeah. be that hard to find. Yeah. 
Oh, what I did do though, I nicked a pair of glasses out of Specsavers because yeah. it, it works for Clark Kent, doesn't yeah. it? So, you know, that's me disguised. But yeah, I got back to a, a flat in Woolwich. I said, it's, it's on the book. It says sitting in a, someone's house and it, it comes up on the news. Do not approach this man and whatever else. It wasn't a nice feeling. And, uh, but it wasn't. You know, I said to my mate, I've just escaped. And he's like, yeah, of course you have. You Shut up. You yeah. know? Everyone thinks I'm, but it come up on the news and I was over all the, because it was, it was, Quite an extreme method I'd used to escape. It was the first time someone had actually used a hypodermic syringe in their eyes Pretend to escape from prison. With oh, jam and... Well, and, but they didn't They know didn't that. have a clue. They didn't know that. Wow. At this time, this is like the... This is 2000, this was. They, yeah. they, 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 it could be AIDS, could be anything, yeah. couldn't it? When you saw yourself on the telly, yeah. obviously your art must have dropped. Wasn't nice. No, it wasn't nice. How were your family then? Were you in contact oh, with your family then? My family were affected. How? Yeah, I was going to say, how affected were your family? Well, but then they must have seen it on BBC. Britain's most wanted man is yeah, on the run. Yeah. And they were probably saying, don't go near him. Your family are thinking... Oh, do not approach. Do not approach. No, I've got a history of violence. What did you do? What did you do from that? From there? You went back to Woolwich and then you must Went back to Woolwich. How long were you on the run for? Uh, about four or five months it must have been yeah so they were looking for you for four yeah. or five months yeah. armed, armed police went through my mum's house door and, and different different people's houses looking for me and yeah lots of different different um, yeah it wasn't nice it wasn't a nice experience you know what were you doing every day Surviving in that four or five months were you going up north were you, were you inmates I, houses I, or? I had a bit of help you know I wasn't living very far from Woolwich you know I didn't have this big bag of money or whatever else I was I, I, I uh, a certain someone from my area who was quite a face he got me a little flat that I could stay in that belonged to someone he knew over in uh, Lewisham which was just two minutes two miles from where I grew up Lewisham yeah. so I was staying in this flat and I was basically coming out of a night time surviving in my ways I knew it was only a matter of time yeah. before I got caught and I was very, very fortunate that I wasn't caught doing another bit of work. And I'll, and I'll be honest here, in that period, I didn't. Okay. You know, I, I, you know, it was on me to go and do a robbery. I knew I was fucked. I knew I was in a lot of trouble. Yeah. This was sort of, this experience, and I think I was hitting a place in my life where, you know, I was near, I, I, where I was sort of near that place where I thought, you know, I want fucking change. Yeah. I don't want this fucking life anymore. Mm. This is, I, I'm in a lot of fucking trouble. I've got kids. It's leading nowhere. And I was starting to, I say this, conscience is a fierce pursuer. It escapes no man. Yeah. And I was, I was not this psychopath or anything like that. You know, I had a drug problem by this time. I was. How old are you at this point? In your well, 30s? Yeah. Well, no, um. Yeah, I was coming up to, I was 29, 30 when I got arrested for that. When, yeah, 29, 30. I'm just, just shy of 50 now. So we're going back 20 years. So where years. did they, where did they catch you? Well, they eventually well, caught Did you ever think about a game? I'm just going to have myself in. It's just too stressful. It's, I, or I, not. I, everything went through my yeah. head. Shall I go out with a bang? Yeah. You know, because you think like that. What did you think? I'm, I'll take my own life. Not that I would take my own life, but should I just go out on a fucking mad kamikaze okay. and if the police around me just go, Fucking is what it is, yeah. death by suicide, yeah. and a lot of criminals have gone that yeah. way. You know, death by suicide with police, and and I, I particularly know one one particular fella who actually did pointed a gun at the police, knowing they'd shoot him. Yeah. You know, because it's you sort of get to that yeah. place when you've exhausted all avenues. Did you, know, you feel that you got to that place? Yeah, I'd lived a fast criminal life. You know, I don't talk bollocks. There's things I can yeah. never talk about, and I progressed very, very quickly in yeah. the criminal underworld. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm a well respected. Yep. Man, in, in 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 not giving it a big I am, yep. but you know, I'd I'd there's not many people in London 
criminally that I had, had any encounters with at some point or whatever. I met in jail and I was respected in jail and whatever else. And I, I'd lived it fast and fucking furious. Yeah. I'd gone from being this frightened kid yeah. who'd nick a mask bar and be really fucking yeah. paranoid of a security guard to going out doing fucking basically anything. Yeah. And at the end of my criminality, I was probably capable of anything, yeah. which is quite Did that sad. You? Yeah, you scare yourself. Yeah. You're scared of who you've become because yeah. you lose the fear of uh, the police. You lose the fear of prison because you've been there, seen yeah. it, done it. You know, I've, I've been to 31 bloody prisons mm. and that sounds bad, but I've I counted them when I wrote my autobiography. Yeah. I've been to 31 different prisons. The prisons God. never scared me. And it's it's... But you're at a place where the only person who really scares you is yourself yeah. because you, you know everyone's mortal. No one is more dangerous than the next man or whatever. And you know, it's like you know you get a big muscly man. A lot yeah. of people do that because they're scared and fear inside. Boys inside, inside really, they're the biggest, they? the biggest. Yeah. Uh, it's not the size of the man in the fight; it's the fight in the man. Yeah. And 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 I was by this time I was fucking wild. And wild. Did, how much? How much did all this? How much did cocaine play a part in you being wild? Do you reckon? It fueled me. I think it speeds you up. It's like you, you, you live live fast, don't you? It's like it, you, you, you know. I was always blessed. I've always been quite intelligent. You know, I'm not stupid. Mm. I don't I fit emotionally a fucking retard. Yeah. I was, but it, intellectually, I was always quite intelligent. Mm. Very much a thinker, and uh, I don't think it done me any favors. And later in life, I was diagnosed as suffering from a condition where they said I was bipolar mm. because of, you know, I'd, I could get quite anxious. I used to get anxious a lot or get bit, go a bit psychotic. Not where I'd lose touch in re, with reality, but just where I'd do things and afterwards think, why the fuck did I do that? Or I'd have no, no sort of defense against my own behavior, as it were, yeah. you know, very impulsive and whatever. And I think that's what cocaine done. It was fueling that. But, uh, Were you using every day? Towards the end of yeah. my criminality, I was, yeah. You know, I've been clean now for a number of years. Yeah. I don't use any drugs. I don't even drink alcohol. Yeah. I don't, nothing. Yeah. I don't take the risk, but, yeah. I want to roll back to those four or five months on the run. Where where did yeah. you get caught? Well, I ended up getting caught in in, in Woolwich. Um, in your hometown? In my hometown. Yeah. You went yeah. back again? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, okay. I, you know, I, by the time I, I did get caught, it was almost a relief. Yeah, I bet. It was almost a relief, yeah. you know. But, um... What happened is they they I was in a, a building with with a friend of mine and I saw a police car go past quite slow and I thought oh, I thought a little bit suspicious of it and then literally five minutes later I come out and there was just a, a sea of fucking yeah. police there to arrest me like they'd obviously known I was going to be there or someone had probably grasped me out they wouldn't done me a favour yeah. but cut a long story short then when I was arrested obviously. Because of the means I'd used to escape, immediately I was made um, a high-security prisoner and I wasn't allowed any human contact. I was kept in total segregation. Total segregation. For how long? Uh, about nine, nine, ten months till I went to court because they wow. thought, because of the syringe, yes, yeah. the risk of me injecting someone, yeah. for all they knew, I could have had HIV, I could yeah. be, you know, and, and they let me have it. Mm. You know, I was, I was... It's category A. Do you ever have to wear chains? No, not chains, no. no. But uh, is is something that I write about in my book, which I say is really, it was one of them moments, you know. I was a very clingy kid to my mum and mm. very clingy. Mm. I went to, while I was on remand, they, I had to go to hospital because I had uh, I had an ear, ear operation as a kid and my ears have to be syringed every day because yeah. my ears get blocked, one of my ears gets blocked and I get a yeah. really bad click. Anyway, they've sent me to outside hospital I went with 12 prison officers 
I had to wear a green and yellow boiler suit with HM Prison on the back. I was double handcuffed. Mm. So I had a set of big padlock handcuffs like that and handcuffed to a prison officer as well. And I had 12 prison officers with me in a, in a little waiting room. And there was a, a little boy there with his mum. And when he looked at me, he went, you know, he was scared, scared and cuddled yeah. up to his mum. And I looked at him and, you know, I, I saw the, yeah, the kid, I saw me for the a kid second. In you, yeah. I saw me for a second. Yeah. And I really did. And that's something that will stay with me for life. I looked at him and I thought, you know, that's, this is what my life's become. Mm. This is it. This is the culmination of my best thinking. Mm. This is where I am in life. How long did you get on that sentence? I got 10 years. That was a 10. And yeah, did you get a plus three as well? For three something? years for the escape. For the escape. Yeah, another three years. So you had 13. Escape, 13 years. And you were bouncing around all prisons all around the UK? Everywhere. I ended up, what happened is they, uh, I was transferred. The minute I was sentenced, I was sent to Long Larting Prison. Where's in, that? That's in Worcester. That's a, a Category A prison with, with you've got a lot of high-risk Category A prisoners, whatever else. And I met a lot of the notorious faces that you, I'm not going to mention their names. It's not about them, but yeah. people you read about in the papers yeah. or whatever. It's become very friendly with a lot of these people. So that was a very, very oppressive, very security environment. Yeah. You know, all the doors are electronic, uh, whatever else. There's no keys. They don't have keys in case you take a prison officer hostage. Mm. Everything's done electronically. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the, the wings are full of fucking prison officers. It's yeah. a really oppressive environment. I met prisoners there, obviously, that... First night I got there, I walked along and you had the cell cards and it says how long people are doing on the cell cards mm. and it's life, life, mm. life, 30 years, life, life, 25. Just, just life. tell me, what's life? Because I hear that life actually isn't life. Depends on the, the prisoner. A life sentence is actually 99 years. Okay. But you get what's called a recommendation on that life sentence because there's varying degrees of murder. Yep. You know, someone who stabs someone in a pub is not mm. as bad as someone who goes out premeditated. Yep kill someone or whatever else and you get recommendations the average is probably 15 or 16 yeah. years well so if you get a life you could you'll get, end up doing 15 or 16 potentially but okay. there's no guarantee okay there's no guarantee you you would only get out when you satisfy the parole board that you're fit for release yeah. but there's some people who are doing 30 years i met people who are doing whole life sentences they've been told they'll never be released like wow. jeremy bamber and people like that they've been told they'll never be released mm. uh, i met four or five who've been told they'll never be released you know because of their crimes were that horrific, you know. And you, you see these people, you're on a wing with these people. Yeah. So when you're in them environments, you're walking round, and you are walking round a wing of fucking killers, yeah. people who would kill you like that. Yeah. There's there's plenty of people I've met in prison who, 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 who would kill you and not think fucking twice about it. It's a very dangerous environment. They make you very hypersensitive. Mm. They make you paranoid. They damage you. You yeah. get like, there's a lot of people who've done... Um, high security jails have spent years and years on them. They come out, they're never the same person. Yeah. They suffer from like post-traumatic stress. Yeah. They're really thingy sure. environments. You are know? you in your own cell or are you sharing a all, cell? All single cells in high all, risk. Okay. As your category A prisoner in a high risk prison, everyone's so in So where own is cell. there a place where another another prisoner could attack another prisoner? Oh, At lunch and dinner place. or? Yeah, when there's you're... always a place. There's the there? exercise yard. A lot of it happens in the corridors or in the gym. Because there's times when you're moved. The most violent time and the most risky time in any prison is first thing in the morning. Yeah. That's when people have just woke up, yeah. they got the arm, or if they've got beef from the night before, they've been stewing on it yeah. all night and they try and catch you in the morning. Yeah. Or what's called free flow. And that's in the morning when prisoners go to work or go to exercise. Everyone has to leave their cell and go through the corridors or whatever. 
prisoners are clever. They're, you know, they're very cunning and whatever. They will find their moment. They've got nothing. When you're in prison, you've got nothing but time to think. And people plot and plan and they're constantly plotting and planning. Yeah. And, and, and in the dispersals, what they say is when it does go off, it doesn't go off as often as you would think mm. like violence. Not as often as you would think, apart from the nutters. Mm. But when it does, it's bad because you don't want that prisoner going down the seg or going down there and then coming back on the wing yeah. because he's going to come he's and do you again. Him. So when yeah. it does go off in there, I mean, I, I, one of the worst things I saw in the dispersal system, I saw uh, a black guy come back from the gym one day holding his stomach. And I went, I went, are you all right? He was one of that lot from the, the, the Birmingham lot, uh, yeah. one of them crews from up there. And I said, you all right? He went, no. And he, he, he pulled his arms away like that and literally his really? stomach was hanging Jesus. out. Where somebody had yeah, cut him and yeah. literally tried to kill him, no doubt about that. And I've seen murders in prison as well. I've been away in two prisons where another prisoner's been killed, you know, and a how, lot of how suicides. You, how are you? How are you? How are you sleeping at night? Now? No, no, no. When you're in there, knowing all this is going off, you're in category A. You become. You don't become immune to it, but you become hardened. You become hardened because it's the only way to cope. Remember what I said when I started this interview, you learn to sink or swim. Yeah. You sink or swim. You can't show any weakness whatsoever. You can't. And I was very fortunate that I've attracted some of the best cons over the years. And I don't say that for, yeah. again, I'm not giving it the big yeah. I am because I'm really not. Yeah. But, you know, I'm a decent fella. I'm staunch. I, I can make people laugh, all that stuff. Yeah. So I've always... Um, had good people around me and had it with good people. I don't take liberties with people. I don't, nothing like that. You know, I'm very much into my fitness because I was a boxer in yeah. amongst whatever else. And, and um, yeah, so I've always had good people around me. You I tend that, to avoid the people who I see as a threat. I'm smart like that. You can clock that straight away. Oh, yeah, you yeah. do. When you've done a lot of prison, you yeah. can see who's like a bit and you fucking give them a wide berth. Because yeah. prison, 80% of prison is just, people with fucking drug problems and everything else. You've only got like the 20% of prison, I would call real hardcore criminal convicts. Most people in prison don't fucking need to be there. Yeah. And given a bit of guidance or a bit of rehabilitation, they'll go on to live a better life, yeah. including myself yeah. and including some of the people who you might write off and say, well, oh, he's a fucking super villain. Where a lot of these fucking people, they, 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 they yeah. don't want to be there. You, know, you, got, you mentioned a minute ago about prisoners committing suicide. I've seen a few. Have you? Yeah, very sad, very sad, because a lot of them don't need to be, it shouldn't be in that position in the first place. And the reason I say this is because I saw the transition. Yep. And it happened in 95 with Michael Howard. You know, he was a, a complete, you know, he was a complete fucking arsehole. In, a, in, a, in an attempt to win votes, he decimated the prison system. Mm. He slashed the education mm. budgets, slashed the care budgets, brought in mandatory drug testing so people that would normally have a puff and stay calm. Mm. Everyone started taking heroin because it stayed in your system yeah. less and he created all the fucking heroin problems. Yeah. Complete fucking idiot yeah. because all he wanted was the votes and whip the electric right. up. Okay. You know, the best way with the Conservatives in it is to just whip the electric up with a crime, crime stick in it. But he decimated, and what he done is where he slashed all the budgets, he slashed mental health, everything, and uh, basically prison started to become an overflow for the mental health hospitals. Right. People that should be in hospital, and now nothing to do with yeah. them. What do we do? They've they've smashed a window in the I Street, lock them up in an ice security prison. Yeah. They can't cope with that fucking environment. Yeah. 
They go behind their door of a night, fucking self-arming. The yeah. prison officers are not psychiatric nurses. Yeah. They can't deal with that stuff. Mm. They can't expect them to be looking through your flap every two seconds. Yeah. And basically what, what happened is there was a, the suicide rates in prison just went up, 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 up. And they're still going up. And the reason they're going up is because in Europe, we're the harshest at sentencing, but we're also the quickest to lock people up. And we, we, we're very hard on people with um, mental illnesses and things like that where there could be viable alternatives. Yeah. But there's just not the, the there's, there's not enough resources in society to cope with these people. Mm. So they just lock them up. Mm. It's sad. It's sad. sad. So you've done you got 13 years. Yeah. You come out after probably six and a half, seven. Yeah, nearly eight. Eight. And what age eight. were you then? Oh, now I was 37 years old, 38 when I came out, 37, 38. 38. Yeah. What was your next move from there? Would you well, go straight? Believe it or not, I, you know, I, I moved to Bournemouth and this is an amazing fact. I went on to become, you know, I boxed as a kid when I was at school, whatever. I boxed as an amateur and I boxed at school. And, and even in amongst my criminality and all that, I scoped to the gym and still trained up at Spider Wells. I thought, you know, I want to get back into me boxing. Yeah. And I started a little boxing club in Bournemouth. Cut long story short. I started boxing. And within a couple of years, you know, I was fighting again, unlicensed or whatever else. And I won a, a British title, unlicensed. Yeah. I had quite a little thing as a, yeah, yeah, yeah. As a boxer. And uh, I'd started a scaffold company. You know, I was doing really well. You know, I was doing really well for quite a few years. And then, uh, yeah, then I sort of like, oh, I hadn't done enough on myself, really. But what I will say, I know what I will say is uh, when I was away, because uh, this preceded me getting out and doing quite well, when I was away doing the, the long sentence, yeah. you know, I went and done um, therapy. It's, it's all in the book. I went to a therapeutic prison for three and a half years. Called? Uh, that was in Grendon Underwood. That was in Aylesbury in Buckinghamshire. Okay. Had a very bad reputation yeah. at the time. People used to say, oh, it's full of weirdos, yeah. full of nutters and whatever else. Yeah. But for me... When I was serving that sentence in that in, in ice security prison, you get assessed by psychologists, you know. And what had happened to me is I'd actually got arrested whilst in jail for two bad Section 18s. You know, I... I I'd, What's a Section 18? That's a GBH with intent, okay. violent offences. I'd gone a bit a bit nuts. They, they, they sent me up to a prison in Staffordshire called Dovegate to do therapy. Mm. You know, they suggested I go and do a bit of therapy, have a look at my life, because I was... Keen to change. Yeah. And while I was up there, there was two prisoners that was, uh, we had this little fiddle up there, me and my mate, because you do what you do in prison to survive. We were getting bits and bobs sent in the post. And, like? Well, my mate, we're getting bits of puff and yeah. they're sent inside pens and whatever. We had, a, we had a bent yeah. screw in reception. And, yeah. that, and as we was getting these parcels, he was giving us the package before he had gone to the censor. So we yeah. was getting that. And we was, <laughs> we was having a, because this particular prisoner up there knew this, particular officer on the air it goes on you know and uh so we had a good little fiddle yeah. this one prisoner grasped us up and he got him uh i think the prisoner also got out of it because obviously we wouldn't say anything yeah. but he got him under investigation or whatever cut a long story short i come out myself one day i thought i've had enough of these it was too far north you know i'm a londoner yeah. through and through and there was not a lot of londoners up there i thought yeah. oh, fuck this i've had enough and uh and i was going down for dinner one day and anyway i i I had a honey jar in my hand and I whacked this particular prisoner over the head with it and uh, it, it cut him down the side of his head and he collapsed and he had tomato soup in his hand and uh, the tomato soup's gone up over him and he was lying on the floor like, it was out cold or what, but I saw the soup on him. I thought, oh no, I've killed him. <laughs> it looked like blood, but yeah, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was soup. And then uh, his mate come running over, so I fucking hit him and all. And anyway, I've ended up getting nicked for section 18s, two section 18s on him. 
I've ended up in segregation now in Dovegate. Uh, they've made me a category A, pot A prisoner again, sent me back to Long Lighting, which is high security prison again, put me back in segregation because uh, don't want me to... Violence. It's a lot, yeah. a lot of violence. So do you get more? And... Do you get more sentence on a segregate on a well? On, I would have a, got a more. section eighteen. Oh, I would have been again outside court. That's criminal charges. You you assault someone in jail. You 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 do something like that. I I, I was looking down the barrel of a life sentence because of that two strike rule. Yeah, because if you were at this is a time if you already have violence on your record, yeah. or you're convicted of violence. You get nicked for a second violent offence. You get life sentence. Yeah. They called it IPP, or you could just get a discretionary life sentence. Oh, I knew I was going to get a life sentence. The police, North Derbyshire police actually saved me because it turned out one of the fellas that I'd actually whacked with a thingy, he'd been done for flashing and that at schoolgirls. Right. Which is like... So uh, a re- yeah. And the police knew that. Yeah. And obviously we didn't know that time. We thought, oh, he's an half-decent prisoner. He seemed all right, yeah. but he, he obviously weren't. Yeah. And the police officer, when he came to interview me down the segregation unit, North Derbyshire police officer, I'll never forget, he looked out the door of a cell like that. He went... If you say he went to it, you know, and you just raised it, he said, as far as we're concerned, you won't hear from us again. what he said. That's what he said. And, and, and you know what? True to his word, never heard from him again. He probably thought, fuck you, he deserved it. Yeah. If you, you, see, this is the, how prison works. Prisoners killing prisoners, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. But you kill a prison officer or, or attack a prison officer, then it's a big thing. Nine times out of ten, I don't give a shit. It yeah. don't go to court. They don't want the publicity or anything else. So I got out of that, but I didn't because I ended up going back to Long Larting, uh, back in second And where is Long Larting? Worcester. Worcester, okay. Now, the thing about that is uh, now I've gone from high security jail to a therapeutic jail to try and do some work on myself. I ended up attacking two prisoners. Although I haven't been charged by the police, I'm back in segregation now. I'm not allowed to mix other prisoners for threat of violence. It doesn't look good. No. Now, what happened is uh, two psychiatrists come to interview me because I'd had a bit of psychiatric issue when I was initially sentenced where I'd have a psychiatric report because of the extreme method yeah. I'd used to escape, etc. And this one psychiatrist, he's tapped the pen on the side like that and he's looked at me and he said, one signature from me, one signature from him, and you're off to Broadmoor. That's the last. Where do you go? In the British prison system, when you're in a dispersal system, you are really at the end of the road. Yeah. There's nowhere else for you to go. You know, you either get downgraded in security and there's no way you can be upgraded. The only place you can go is to what's called a special uh, secure unit and they did talk to me about that at first, which was called the Severe and Dangerous Personality Unit in Whitemore. They were going to send me there. Could have been Broadmoor. I'd still be there now because people go there. They don't get out. They don't as get a out of Broadmoor, do they? Where is Broadmoor? Uh, Berkshire. I could have ended up there. And so it, but, if, you, if, you, if you'd have gone in there, you might not be here today. Oh, I'll probably still be there because what they do is they give you, I, I believe, what's called a chemical lobotomy. They just keep giving you psychotropic meds till you fucking, till you don't want to go out. Right. You're quite happy to be there. Like, I'm not saying that's the case for all because I do know of people that have been there and got out. Times have changed a bit now. But for me, they really did think I was like a bit mentally, and, and I was diagnosed with being bipolar because I could switch quite easy yeah. and... And in some senses, it's the prison system. If they don't want the responsibility anymore and they yeah. can't be fucking bothered, they just say, ah, oh, he's a fast, he's too much. Yeah. We ain't got time or resources to fucking deal with him. Mm. Send him off. So I could have gone to Broadmoor or the Dangerous Personality Unit at Whitemore. In the end, it was a prison officer called Cheryl, who was absolutely fantastic. She was a beautiful, beautiful woman. And this is why I say some prison officers are lovely. Yeah. She was a Welsh prison officer in uh, Long Lighting, And she came down the seg one day. And um, a couple of the good chaps, like... Kevin Lane and Lenny Kempley and people like that. These yeah. are like the tourist people. They was on my wing in Long Line. They said, 
they said to the police, I was, look, he's all right, let him back up, we'll keep an eye on him or whatever. So Cheryl's come down to me and she said, um, if I get you back on the wing, are you going to behave yourself? And I looked at her and I thought, you know what, here's someone who's showing me a bit of fucking humanity. Yeah, yeah. A bit of humanity considering I've been on the end of a lot of brutality yeah. over the years. Yeah. And I said to her, Shell, I promise you, get me back on the wing. Now I've had enough. I don't want to be in segregation. Yeah. I've got Bob Mosley two cells away from me. I don't know if you know who Bob Mosley is. Who's that? Bob Mosley, is a pris- uh, uh, he's been in segregation since 1977. He killed three prisoners. He killed one in, one in uh, Broadmoor and he killed two in Wakefield. You know, he's never getting out, Bob. And uh, he was two cells away from me. That's where I've ended yeah. up. You know, I'm yeah. two cells away from Bob Mosley. He's there on a, Crazy. On a lay down. And... Um, she said, if I get you back on the wing, you're going to behave. And you know what? I looked at her and I thought, you know, I made a commitment. I'm a man of my word. I said, Shell, I promise I'll behave. I got back up on the wing. And then afterwards, I decided, well, I'm going to, rather than being a rebel, I'm going to interact with a psychologist or whatever in terms of trying to rehabilitate. Mm-hmm. And they offered me this Grendon. Now, I'd heard a lot about Grendon, obviously, over the years. It's, oh, there's a lot of wrong ones there. And yes, there is. There's a wing there full of them. But at this time... It was a game for a transition phase, and it's a therapeutic jail. And what they wanted to do is see how it works for your normal sort of straight-going cons, your armed robbers. You had to be convicted of a violent offence mm. and be doing quite a long time. So they, they look like your armed robbers, your, your whatever else. So I went there, and I was very fortunate that that when I made the decision to go there, it was a big thing for me to go there. You know, there was um, my good friend, like notorious, like Noel Razor Smith, and. Freddie Lunn and these other proper, well-respected, sensible cons from the prison system mm. had come there from Whitemore at the mm. same time. So he was trying to empty out the dispersal yeah. systems because there's only limited spaces yeah. there. So when I got there and I was around them sort of people, I knew for the first time I might be all right, you know. And, uh, yeah, I went through that and I stayed there for nearly three years, you know, and done, you know, a hell of a lot of work on myself. So that was the point when that Broadmoor basically was the biggest wake-up. Well, that was... It wouldn't have fucking stopped me. That's no. the sad thing. I think the fact that they gave me the alternative yeah. to go, to, that's what saved me. Because I think if I'd have stayed at Long Larkin, it brought out the worst in me. Yeah. I, I think because of the sort of environment you're in, and I was a bit like paranoid and whatever else, you could quite easily find yourself getting arrested there for something really fucking serious. Like I say, so if a nutter comes up to you one day and says, right, oh, I'm going to do you, you're yeah, going yeah, yeah. to do what you've got to fucking do. Yeah. And I was at that place in my life where, I'd have done what I had to do. Yeah. Make no mistakes. If I had to do something, yeah. I would fucking done it. And I've done it in my life yeah. and regretted it afterwards. I'm not a psychopath, but there's times I've had to do something that I've later thought, maybe I didn't have to do that. Yeah. Or, you know, I would have done what I had to do, mm. you know. And you can get caught up in someone else's bollocks yeah. in them jails, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was it when you come out then? What was the, yeah. what age were you when you come out? Yeah, I was in my 30s when I was in, yeah. well into my 30s now. I was like 37, 38. 37, and... 38. You're now 50. Yeah. What did you do between 37 and 45? Well, uh, this is the thing. I was doing all right. You know, I had my scaffolding. I was boxing and, and, and I was, I, I'd done a lot of work on myself. But what I hadn't done, I don't feel I'd developed emotionally enough. I didn't, I underestimated the damage that spending so long in prison from when I was a young man, everything else had done. You know, I still didn't have the the life skills as shuts yeah. to, to cope with life and living at an emotional level, you know, like relationships and finances and all yeah. this sort of thing. But I couldn't really reach out and ask people for help. I didn't tap into the help that was there. And I actually became quite depressed, you know, and... um 
from the outsides looking in, I looked like I was doing fantastic. Yeah. You know, at the time I I, I was uh, driving a fit love, and healthy, fit and healthy yeah. boxing. Yeah. I was driving. I I'd done okay financially. Yeah. I I was in business and I was earning good money and whatever else. But I was going slightly. Yeah. Mad in the sense that I was getting very depressed, and I speak about this openly and honestly because, you know, I think everyone should. It's not a sign of weakness yeah. to suffer from depression or mental illness in any form, you know, in any form. Because yeah. at any one time, they reckon one in three of the population yeah. is depressed and don't know it. Yeah. But I was battling with uh, uh, depression, and I ended up in a place where I thought, you know what, I, I, I can't do this no more. I felt like blowing my own head off, but yeah. I couldn't tell anyone. If you'd have asked me how I was feeling, I'd have said, ah, I'm fine, I'm wonderful. I'm okay, I'm cool, yeah. I started using drugs again. Yeah. I, I'd had him been clean for a number of years. I started to sniff coke again and take downers and Valium, and I was just trying to shut my head down. And yeah. what happened, and this was my saving grace, in 2011, I went to... By my own admission, I walked into a doctor's surgery and asked them for help. I said, look, I'm desperate for help. I feel like, I said, I'm losing my mind. I feel, I'm, I'm, and I begged them for help and there was no help they could give me. Two weeks later, I went in and asked them for help again and said, look, I'm suffering from really bad depression. I know I'm depressed. Well, didn't help me. Um, I ended up then getting, uh, going off my head. End up going out committing two armed robberies when I didn't really need to. I was not that I was struggling for money. I was just sort of, I lost my mind a bit. I went out and uh, committed two robberies and an attempted robbery and ended up getting arrested. <laughs> you know? Where were those robberies? Uh, Luton and one in Cambridge. Yeah. It was the last criminal act I ever done. And you got caught. How did you get caught on that last one? But be on end all, you know, I'd done them without any, any, Fault of not getting caught, to be honest with you. I got arrested on one because uh, uh, I was uh, a car I was in was picked out on an AMPR, and the, the car that that person belonged to obviously he was pulled in, and obviously he gave me up. I never grasped him, yeah. I, I didn't, he was never bloody charged. But obviously, they come to yeah. me, arrested me, and then on the other one, I was picked out on a ID parade and not an attempted one. And I pleaded guilty to them all. Now, when I was arrested for this in, in 2012, they took me, um straight to Wormwood Scrubs, I think, that's it, it's over. Yeah. It's over. I'm going away for a long, long fucking yeah. time with my record, a long, long time. The thing that saved me, I think that was the moment when my life really changed, mm. you know. And I say this, you know, I mean, some people climb mountains, that shit don't impress me. Yeah. The, the the journey from the gutter to the pavement's 18 inches, that mm. impresses me, mm. you know. And, and, and I think I did that place where I, you know, I, I knew it was either, it's it, I'm at the bottom, I'm at the end of the road now, where am I off to, where am I going, am I going to end up nutting off Broadmoor, am I going to top myself, all these feelings going on, and it was a psychiatrist that saved me. The fact that I'd been in and asked for help, I, I had to be assessed immediately, because they, they at first they thought I was unfit to plead, because of my criminal record, and because of the insanity of, like, to, to the air from someone from the outside looking in, they go, what the fuck is this man yeah. doing, you know? Yeah. And uh, a psychiatrist assessed me because I'd been under psychiatrist before after I'd been in prison and for violence in prison, mm. escape like I've spoke mm. about. And um, cut a long story short, that, that she interviewed me and she said, I believe you're that you're bipolar, which means like you 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 can, they used to call it manic depression in yeah. the day, didn't they? What is bipolar? How would you explain it's, it? The way I would explain it is you go through like a manic phase 
and you literally you burn out and then you go through a really bad crash right, okay. and it's like a really bad depression and it's 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 been explained to me it's that's how your body sort of recoups itself it can be it's a biological thing you've got two types of depression endogenous exogenous and One's from like outside factors, you know, like your relationship goes bad or something, yeah. you get depressed. Yeah. If it's biological, it needs to be controlled chemically, like with medication. Mm-hmm. And I and I take medication mm-hmm. for it, and and I've been fine ever mm-hmm. since. Mad, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But anyway, the psychiatrist <laughs> psychiatrist interviewed me and said that you know I should never have been in society. When I the moment I went and asked for help, and I was crying for help with my form and my yeah. criminal record and 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 my. The stuff that, that I've done over the years, they should have took me seriously. They should have at least took me in for an assessment or something because I was basically yeah. asking, you know, it took a lot for me to walk in and ask yeah. for help and they didn't yeah. and I offended. And anyway, in the time I was on remand, I was on remand for six, six, seven months in scrubs. I pleaded guilty to everything. You know, I'm not going to fight it. There's no fight left in yeah. me. I actually wrote the judge a letter. I've never done this mm. before. I viewed judges with distrust yeah. and suspicion yeah. and whatever else. And I wrote the judge a, a letter saying, look, I'd done so well in prison. I'd done all the therapy and everything else. I'd lost my way. You know, I really tried. I really tried when I come out. But, you know, I just don't know what happened and whatever. And I said, if you throw away the key now, I said, you are denying me the chance to become a productive member of society mm. and maybe make a difference mm. and whatever else. And I wrote the judge that letter. And he read it out in court. And, and I meant what I said. And I could see he was moved by that. Mm. I could see the judge was moved. Anyway, he sentenced me. He said, my hands are tied. You know, I have to send you to prison. But I hope you get the help while you're there. You know, lovely, beautiful judge, yeah. lovely liberal man. Yeah. He gave me five years EPP, which is a five-year sentence with what the EPP stands for, Extended Public Protection. Mm. Because technically I am... Well, I was at the time because of my criminal record. There was mm. a danger to the public. Mm. So he's given me a five EPP. I'd like to say I've never offended since. Yeah. You know, and I've gone on to do great things mm. with self and support of others. But yeah, that's, that's the, uh, you know, I came out of prison when I was released in the, the beginning of 2017. It was, I was, I was what was called a mapper, which is, multi-agency public protection. I had to be monitored in society to make sure I wasn't a threat and danger to anyone. You had to be else. monitored? Yeah, I had to be monitored. What's when it, explain out. that. They wouldn't just release me into okay. society. I had to go and stay in a, a halfway house for like six months to be monitored to make sure I wasn't With a, a tag around your ankle? No tag. No tag. No okay. tag, no. They, they do that with like certain types okay. of criminals, especially sex offenders and yeah. people like that. Yeah. something which I'm yeah. most categorically yeah. not, you know. Yeah. But uh, to make sure I was... Uh, not a threat or danger to society. And I had some great support while I was in that halfway house. It was a good road to go down. It gave me a good foundation to build. So you come out 2017. Yeah. We're now 2021. Yeah. What has been your world since you come out? Drug free, alcohol free, new uh, life? Completely drug free. Ray Bishop version two. Yeah, version two. You know, it's not how you start out that matters. It's where you're going, you yeah. know. And I'd like to think that all my experiences in making sense of my own life, may benefit someone else. You know, I don't give a fuck about me in the sense of wanting to be a, a big name or a celebrity or I'm this or I'm that. I couldn't give a shit. Yeah. I don't need money. Yeah. I've done well for myself yeah. in business. It's not yeah. about that. But in helping someone, especially if you just help one other person, you help yourself. Because I believe rehabilitation is something that you actively engage in. I don't take it for granted. I don't just think... 
I'm going to wake up tomorrow and think, oh, I'm going to live a lovely, law-abiding life. You know, anything can happen in life, can't it? You know, and but um, so far, so good. Mm. You know, I've not broke the law since that last time I did break the law, which was nine years ago now. Mm. There's the prison sentence I've done and whatever else. You know, I've become an author with Virgin. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, so Virgin tapped you up, found out your story, and then yeah. traced you and signed you. Well, I'm very fortunate. Uh, my, my friend Noel Razor-Smith, who's a... What an amazing author, you know, he's had lots of books out. He said, you've got to write your book. And I, and, and I discovered I can write, you know. And something else, what I, when I was in prison, you know, when I was doing that big, long sentence, there was a place when I got into the therapy, and all that, I did better myself. I educated myself. Mm. I didn't educate myself. I went to open university and studied yeah. for a degree in psychology and all this stuff. And it was all part of the start of the process. You know, you can always make up for lost ground. You can always start again, you know, if you're having a shit day today. You can go, well, I'm going to start again tomorrow. You, know? you understand that it's going to be a bad day. So to, to, de- to deal with it, it's going to be a bad day. We're only human. Yeah. You know, I've learned with experience now, especially being drug-free and giving myself a chance yeah. and living a law-abiding life, that you become more attractive in the sense that you attract better people. Yeah. You know, the people that I would have mixed with in the past, I'm not down talking anyone or anything, I choose not to. I yeah. don't associate with criminals and yeah. whatever else. Why would I? Yeah. I'm not committing a criminal life. Yeah. And here I am today in business and I associate with some pretty major players in the business world, mm. the legal straight business world. And I have to pinch myself sometimes. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. wow, these people take me seriously. And above all, trust me. Yeah. And, you know, because um, I don't bullshit people. I look people in the eye and if, if I can be at a job tomorrow, for example, I say, I can be there. If I can't, I say, I'm sorry, I can't get there. I'm really busy or mm. whatever else. And, and, and I've gone on now to having some pretty good contracts and whatever else and it's becoming... Yeah, I employ Good people. For you. I pay my taxes, you Good know. And you. So those first 45 years, how many years did you spend in prison? 16 and a half years. Wow. wow. Yeah. I'll put the half on there because it does matter. It does matter. Even yeah, half sure. a year. And that, and I'm so, how do I know that? How do I know I've done 31 prisons? Because I wrote my autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> I worked yeah. it all out. Yeah. I sat there and done the maths and done the sums. Yeah. You know, it's and just just before we finish up here, Ray, because this has been a fascinating story mm-hmm. here in your life, and Thank I really you. do appreciate you coming to the studio and telling it and being honest and whatever. Where can people find your book? Well, you can outlaw. You, you can actually pre-order it now on Amazon because it's it's due for for big uh, the, the major releases March the seventeenth in the spring. But you can you can uh, get it on Amazon. And one thing I'll say. I mean, I'm not profiting from this. Yeah. You know, any proceeds or money I get, I'm, I'm actively involved with a charity, uh, Put Down Your Life, Change Your Life, which is a charity with some great people, Ben Spann and Terry Ellis and different people that, that really campaign against knife violence in this country. And any proceeds, I'm going to donate it to yeah. them. I don't need yeah. the money. It's yeah. never about the money. Yeah. But it's a, it's a motivational book. And the one thing I will say is the people that have read it, the greatest gift I got is someone read it once and he was in a... Uh, a prisoner read it because it was pre-released before yeah. and after I got the arrest. They shelved it and they've Virgin have had enough faith in me to re-release. A prisoner in a segregation unit said he felt suicidal and he read it and he said after that, he said it changed his life. Uh, it's not, you know, I didn't do that, yeah. but just something in it inspired him yeah. to change like his say, life. that one person. Yeah. And three years later, he's he, he's out, he's working, he's living a law-abiding on his life and I think, that's not my doing. But you helped. We're, everyone's our teacher. Yeah. 
you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And I've had some fantastic people give me some fantastic snippets of wisdom over the years. I'm just a vessel like anyone else. I just pass it on. None of it's mine. I'm not really that fucking wise. I'm not Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But anything that's been given to me freely, I love to give it to anyone else. And there's a lot of wisdom in there. Most importantly, a lot of experience. Crime does not pay. It doesn't pay. Does not pay. Mentally, emotionally, physically, is no crime is victimless. And we have no right to behave that way. And what I will say to anyone who's living that life and thinks they can't get out, you know, I was at the bottom of the fucking barrel and I found a way out. You know, anyone can change. You know, leopards do change their spots. And no matter how lost the cause you think you are, you know, a little bit of self-belief Believe in yourself. You can achieve anything. Totally agree. Anything. Ray, on that, mate, let's finish up that. You seem like you're in a really good place right now. Thank you. It's lovely to see. Uh, amazing that you've got the book out. Um, thank you for Virgin allowing us to have this exclusive. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. It's a pleasure, mate.